If you would, please get a Bible. And if you split it down the middle, you'll probably hit the book of Psalms. Take a left. Let's go to the book of Job, chapter 1, okay? Job, chapter 1. Job, chapter 1. Just a few days ago, a Christian man was killed in a helicopter crash. The wife was a dear friend of one of our own church members, and the Christian father had given the helicopter ride to his two sons as a Christmas present. The helicopter picked them up at the house, and tragically, the mother, the spouse, videotaped the takeoff of the helicopter and the crash from their backyard porch. The two sons and the helicopter pilot survived the crash. Uh, the two sons are now out. Uh, our son's age is like 23 and 26, I think. Uh, they're out of the hospital now. The helicopter uh, pilot is still in the hospital. His sign is basically broken. And uh, I just found out uh, today that, you know, the investigations are still ongoing. And the spouse can still see the helicopter just a few hundred feet from her, her back porch. Can you imagine that? Why do things like this happen? This is a Christian man, a Christian family a family of faith. Where is God? And if he's good, why didn't he stop that from happening, right? Or is God incapable of stopping it? Or as some preachers are out there, particularly those of the charismatic um, health and wealth gospel, by the way, you rarely uh, find them in the book of Job. Have you all noticed that? Very rarely. And when they do dare to enter the book of Job, they mess it up big time, okay? They sound a lot like the three friends, but I I digress. Is God incapable of stopping something like that? Or is your view of sovereignty like theirs, he, he, he chooses not to control everything? The Bethel pastor says that, by the way, right? So God does not control everything, the Bethel pastor would say. And we're going to look and see in the book of Job, how does the book of Job answer these questions? Or does it at all? How is the Christian mother and spouse to respond in that? She's responded well. She's responded in faith. But what, what would you say to that Christian mother? Right? So as we, as we begin this month uh, in the book of Job together, Let's think about uh, not only our own uh, times in which we have suffered or questioned God, right? But also let's be thinking about things that we can pick up in the book of Job to help other people, other loved ones, when they perhaps suffer. So today I have when the righteous suffer, and I've got eight aspects, okay? Pastor Wally had a few last messages as well, amen. So we're on a roll here. We've got a lot of uh, preaching points in the last couple of weeks. By the way, I want to say thank you to Pastor Wally so much for ably uh, preaching God's word to God's people. So thank you so much, Pastor Wally. Amen, brother. All right, so let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll dive right in, okay? So Father, as we go to your word, again, Lord, come in power and glory. Come with encouragement and insight and wisdom, Lord. I pray that you would use this message to encourage and strengthen your bride. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's do a quick overview of the book. It's, it's very simple. 
And for that, I'm very grateful. I'm a simple man. I like to keep things simple, right? So there's basically five acts of the book, okay? You've got the prologue or the beginning at the front end. You've got the epilogue or the ending in the back end, act five there. And in between, you've got the dialogue with three friends. And notice how many chapters there are. Chapters what? Three through what? 31. That's a lot. It's a lot to trudge through, especially at the end when God uh, speaks of what the uh, three friends said, it was not good. So there's a whole lot of chapters there of uh, perhaps uh, strictly correct theology, but wrongly applied. All right, in the middle there, or after the three friends, rather, Act 3, you have Elihu's uh, speeches, okay? He's the young one. He speaks after the three, all right? And there's no commentary at all as to whether what Elihu says is right or not. And so uh, some interpreters say that Elihu is a good bridge between the three friends leading to God's speech and in a positive sense, and others, because there's no commentary whatsoever, they kind of view the young guy talking as like, whatever, whatever, that kind of thing, and just move on to, and then the highlight, of course, is Acts, uh, Act 4. I almost said Acts 4. <laughs> Act 4, Yahweh's speeches, okay? And then the, uh, the epilogue there. So there's a sense of the, the overview. All right, let's get into the eight aspects. Number one, when the righteous suffer, they may have great faith and family and fortune. Pick up with me in verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man, notice, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man, notice, that man was the greatest of all the men of the East. Where does wisdom come from in the ancient mind? The East. So to say that he was the greatest of the men of the East means he's the wisest of the wise. Verse 4, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. What do you think that's a reference to his day? What is it? His birthday, right? His birthday. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them, right? So this is a picture of the, uh, the sons and daughters having a, a party time on their birthdays. Verse 5, when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did continually so verses one through five is a picture of a great man job is a man of great faith he's got a great full house right a great family and he has great wealth now before we move on quickly notice the description of job here notice he's called blameless does that mean that he has attained sinless perfection answer no no so don't think he has attained sinless perfection what man has no one, right? So it's not that he was sinless. What that is a picture of, he's a man of integrity, okay? He's a, a man of integrity. He's also called upright. This means he lived a life of obedience to God's statutes. He treated people with respect. He treated them with fairness. He showed mercy to the unfortunate. The third characteristic here, he fears God. The fear of God is an expression found throughout the Old Testament and frequent with uh, wisdom literature. It stands for a solid trust in God, okay? 
and one who fears God loves him devoutly. So he's blameless, he's upright, he fears God, and then number four, he turns from evil. Whoever fears God avoids the very appearance of evil. So when you add these four characteristics up regarding Job, uh, it bears witness in his culture that he excels in wisdom, all right? He excels in wisdom. Job's love for God and his acts of mercy toward other human beings became legendary to the degree that the prophet Ezekiel lists Job with Noah and Daniel. This is in Ezekiel 14, 14 and verse 20. Uh, Ezekiel lists Job with Daniel and Noah as the most righteous men of all times. And by the way, that's another cue that Job is a historical figure. He's not just like a fable or a story, all right? The prophet Ezekiel, actually it's first person speaking, God speaks of Job, puts him in league with Daniel and, um, uh, uh, and Noah, all right? So Job's a historical figure. And these, by the way, would be great virtues to pursue as we launch into 2022, right? So mark those down, beloved. For 2022, may, may these be characteristics of me, right? May these be uh, characteristics of us as God's family, blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning from evil. Mark those down. So, as we begin, all is well. All is well. There's bounty. There's blessing. Job and his family is the picture of perfect faith, family, and fortune, and wisdom, at least until verse six, and then the story changes. But before we go to number two, very quickly, make note of this. One of the big lessons of Job is to learn this, that personal sin is not the only reasons human suffers, okay? Personal sin is not the only reason humans suffer. Number two, when the righteous suffer, they may be attacked by evil forces, Let's pick up on verse six, and this is where the story changes very dramatically. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth. Now notice, now it's not the narrator, now it's the voice of God himself saying, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Wow, would you love the Lord to say that about you? Amen? We should be pursuing this together. And then you have Satan here, verse nine. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, he will surely curse you to your face. Verse 12, then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. 
while he was still speaking, another also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they died and I alone have escaped to tell you. Wow. That's a bad dark day for Joe, right? Can you imagine? One after, the first one would be bad enough. The second would be more work. I mean, can you imagine? One after the other. What is going on? Well, we know what's going on because we just read behind the scenes, right? Job doesn't get that picture. We get the picture as readers. These verses here uh, depict the two twin towers of what theologians call theodicy, right? Theodicy, trying to explain or defend the ways of God. And here we got a real curveball in Job, right? Those two twin towers, you might want to write these down. By the way, they will help us suffer amen they will help us get through suffer so let's let's name the two ten, tw- uh, the two twin towers of theodicy number one moral evil number two natural evil all suffering all loss can be summed up in one of those two moral evil is what people do to one another that's bad like the sabians and the chaldeans in our passage here natural evil is depicted in this passage uh, it, what is called the fire of God f- fell and the wilderness or the wilderness the, the wind that came from the wilderness by the way notice verse 19 that great wind came from across what? the wilderness right? what was the wilderness known as in the ancient mind? that where the evil powers were when the spirit of God drove uh, Jesus uh, to uh, be tested and tempted rather by the devil, where did he go into? It was the wilderness, right? So I find it very interesting that the great wind that killed the sons and daughters came from where? From across the wilderness. So you have this moral evil and you have natural evil, right? What we would call natural disasters like tornadoes and and that kind of thing. By the way, when, when, uh, what is it, Act 4, when God finally speaks in the book of Job, it says that God spoke to Job out of what? Out of the whirlwind. When God find, I've never heard a pastor say this before about the book of Job. When God finally speaks, it's out of the means of the very thing that killed his children. Wow. That's really interesting to, be, to think about. These verses also Uh, depict for us God's divine counsel okay and note the word counsel c-o-u-n-c-i-l not c-o-u-n-s-e-l God's divine group God's divine counsel like a city council meeting right I mean here we have it in verse 6 on clear display here there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Well, who are, who are the sons of God? Are these a bunch of Jewish elders? No. 
No, when you look up sons of God throughout the Bible, it's not very many places. It always depicts supernatural beings. And know what they're doing here. Well, they're called sons of God. Let's just slow down real quick on that phrase. Sons of God, so that means there's two things about these, these beings. Number one, they're called sons, so they make up a spiritual family, okay? Sons of God, of God meaning they're divine. They're God's supernatural sons. And what are they doing here? Key word in verse six, they're presenting themselves before the Lord. When you look up that term present, it can mean uh, different uh, things in different places. Here it means that these beings stand ready for service to God's authority as a function of worship. Okay, so they're, they're, they're presenting themselves in submission and subservience in an act of worship, basically saying, here we are, what do you want us to do? And there also might be a sense of it's time to report. It's almost like a cosmic staff meeting, if you would. For example, Joshua 24.1, it says, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and their judges and their officers, and they presented themselves before God. That's uh, Joshua 24.1. Same, same word here. Zechariah had a vision of four chariots, and he asked the angels what they were. Zechariah 6.5, the angel replied to me, these are the four spirits of heaven going forth after standing before the Lord of all the earth. Okay? Same, same picture, same, same Hebrew here. But although this group of supernatural beings were presented before God Most High in subservience and, and a sense of worship and um, uh, submission, we've got this other being called the adversary or the opponent also assembled in this cosmic staff meeting, right? Uh, verse six, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and, and in the Hebrew it doesn't say and Satan, in the literal Hebrew language, it says, and the Satan, ha, uh, the, the uh, definite article, ha. So it's not actually a personal name here in, in the book of Job. It's literally the opponent or the adversary also came from among them. Some Old Testament scholars will say this is not the Satan of the New Testament. They will say also that the serpent in the Garden of Eden is not the same figure as here in Job. And I want to say, no, probably not. That's incorrect. Uh, I think this is the same Satan of the New Testament right here in Job 1 and 2. And I say that because of Revelation 22, which says, And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Okay? But it is correct that the definite article is in the Hebrew in our passage here, and that this is not a proper name here in Job. It's a title. It's the adversary, the opponent, okay? So, when the righteous suffer, they may be attacked by evil forces. Now, hear me very clearly. Does that mean that all suffering is a direct result of supernatural forces attacking? No, not saying that. But it is true that when the righteous suffer, they may be attacked by evil forces. So, what are we to do about this? What do righteous people do about this? Let's continue. Number three, when the righteous suffer, praise God, it is limited by God's ultimate sovereignty. And all God's people better be saying some serious amens right now. Seriously. 
verse 12 is very mysterious to me. It's uh, one of the most mysterious verses in all of the, the Bible. Verse 12, then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. What? When the righteous suffer, it is limited by God's ultimate sovereignty. I wish I had a microphone to the whole DFW Metroplex. Amen. Perhaps the whole world. We got to get this one. This is huge. This is the foundation for what Job does next. Okay? So when the righteous suffer, it is limited by God's ultimate sovereignty. Many Christians don't believe number three. Many pastors are not preaching number three. Look at verse 12. All that he has is in your power. Do not put forth your hand on him. Who's in control of this? God is. This is huge. This is the foundation for what Job does next. Or another way to put it, theology is the foundation for doxology. Okay? And what is that? Number four, when the righteous suffer, they worship and they bless God. Look at verse 12. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, common expressions of mourning, and he fell down, and rather, and he fell to the ground and, say it out loud, worshiped. The world knows nothing of this. Worshiped? All your sons, all your daughters, all your wealth gone in a day, and you're worshiping? This is what the righteous do. Now notice what he says, verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. Who gave? The Lord gave. What? Job, are you correct? The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 22, through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Of course, this is what the devil is trying to destroy through what he does, and that is what? Our faith, and with it, the worship of God. One scholar said that God is not the author of evil, but he is the author of creation and of the risk inherent in it. The significance of the cross of Jesus is that the one who suffers most because of sin is not mankind, but God himself, and it is by his own action in the cross that the power of evil is actually overcome. Amen. Well said. Well, I wish I could say it gets better after this. Job worships, and so all is going to be well, right? Well, not yet. And that leads us to number five. When the righteous suffer, they may be attacked by evil forces worse than previously. This is where most people close their Bible, and let's get a more happy Bible verse, please. They don't want to read this, but we shall. Amen? Chapter 2. 
What is your, what's the first uh, word in your Bible says in chapter two, verse one? What's, what's the word? My, my, mine says again. <laughs> oh no, not a, <laughs> again. It's actually worse. There's a day when the sons of God came. Again, look, they present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one like him. Here the third time in the book of Job, these four characteristics. Second time from the lips of God himself, there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you cited, incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Satan answered, by the way, before I continue, can we all agree that Job is a good and righteous man? I mean, how how much emphasis do we have in the story that he's not suffering because of sin, particular sin, okay? It's abundantly clear in the story. Satan answered the Lord, verse 4, chapter 2, and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. He will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, this is amazing that this is in the Bible, verse 6, behold, he is in your power, only spare his life. If I'm voting for Bible verses to be taken out of the Bible, that would be the second one. The other one would be verse 12 of chapter 1. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job. Now look at this satanic smiting. With sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, and he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Y'all know what a boil is? You know what's inside of a boil? Like pus? Like na- all, all those uh, teenagers said, nasty. Yeah, absolutely. From the soles of his feet to the top of his head, now he's, he's sitting among the ashes. When the righteous suffer, they may be attacked by evil forces worse than previously. It's bad enough to lose your wealth and your sons and your daughters. Now he's lost his health. This leads us to number six. When the righteous suffer, those closest to them can fail to bring comfort. Oh, verse 9 is painful to read. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. (laughs) Ouch. Is the wife helpful here? No, I'm being, I'm being actually very gracious with Joe's wife here. As I say, uh, when the righteous suffer, those closest to them can fail to bring comfort. I'm very gracious with her. This sixth aspect could just as accurately read this way. <clears throat> when the righteous suffer, the enemy can use those in your closest circle. Write it down. Or add that to it. Maybe I have nine instead of eight. Those closest to you can fail to bring comfort, but yeah, the enemy can use those in your closest circle. This 
this must have caused so uh, much difficulty in trying to uh, process all of this calamity in his life. Now, when was the last time we heard that Job would curse God? Where did that come from in the story? Came from the adversary, right? Came from the opponent, Satan. That came from chapter 1, verse 11. Now we see it, chapter 2, verse 5. It's from the mouth of the adversary and the closest one to him, that being his wife, basically whispers the satanic word, curse God and die. Number seven. Number seven. When the righteous suffer, they assign the good and the bad as ultimately from God. And with my seventh aspect, I just blew up thousands of sermons on this. Just blew them all up. When the righteous suffer, they assign the good and the bad as ultimately from God. Notice how Job responds to his wife, verse 10. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? This is what the righteous know and this is what the righteous do. Notice here that Job is not concerned with secondary means. And if you're taking notes, write that down. Job is not concerned or just write secondary means. He did not assign his pain as ultimately from the Sabians, yet the story, the narrator tells us this. They were the ones that took his oxen and his donkeys. They were the ones that killed the attending servants. Lightning burned up his sheep and the attending servants, but he did not lay ultimate responsibility of that loss to lightning. The Chaldeans formed three bands of raiders. They were the ones that took his camels and killed the attending servants. A great wind came from across the wilderness. It struck where his children were celebrating the eldest birthday party, right, drinking wine. That great wind caused their deaths, but Job did not ultimately assign responsibility to the great wind, right? Job did not ultimately assign the adversity in his life to the adversary or the opponent either. The moral evil, the so-called natural evil, and then we'll add the third. Maybe it's not just uh, two twin towers. There's, there's three towers. The supernatural evil seen in the opponent and Satan, Job did not ultimately assign adversity to the devil. But we as the story readers get that behind the scenes. Job doesn't have that behind the scenes. But yet look what he's saying here. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? We get the backstory. The adversary was working behind the scenes regarding the Sabians, the lightning, the Chaldeans, and the great wind. So which is it, Christian? You're going to have to decide for yourself, as am I. Is Job right to assign the ultimate source of his adversity to God? And this is a very big deal. 
You need to understand this. What, what do you think here? Is Job right to assign the ultimate source of his adversity to God? And the answer to those questions is found in the last sentence of verse 10 of chapter 2. Look at the last sentence of verse 10. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Meaning? This is not sin for Job to do this, to assign ultimate responsibility to God. This is where the second means is important. Does God actually, is God the active agent in working out evil? No. But whose will is ultimate in the story? It is God's. Amen. This is the foundation for your worship and my worship. This is the foundation of our faith. Remember what the author of Hebrews says, without faith it is what? Impossible to please God. So whether it's the doctrine of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, whether it's the doctrine of this is inspired by God but written by man, or the doctrine of our own salvation that the death, burial, and resurrection of a Nazarene carpenter 2,000 years ago affects our standing before God by faith. Whatever doctrine you want to pick, at the end of every one of those doctrines is a cul-de-sac called faith called for. Amen. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Job said this to his wife because he understood what the first verse in the Bible means, right? Chapter 1, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The rest of the Bible is a breakdown of what verse 1 means. Amen. God can do whatever he wants with his creation. Why? Because God is the creator. He has prerogatives as the creator. Job knew Psalm 139.16, which says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Amen, beloved. Get Psalm 139 in your head and in your spirit, verse 16. Why? Because of Omicron. Because of covid because of cancer, because of sickness, because there's coming a day or night that God has ordained that, that you're going to die. And all God's people said, <laughs> it's on his calendar for you, your birth date and your death date. Can I get an amen? You see how the fear of death has so gripped not only our nation, but the nations of the world through covid I'll reread it for you. In your book were written all the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. The devil is playing humanity like a puppet. How? Through the fear of death. They are enslaved to the fear of death. We would affirm Matthew 10, 29, would we not? which Jesus says, are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Not one of, a sparrow doesn't fall apart from the will. 
of the Father. Would to God that we would get some preachers up in the pulpit that would say that about God, amen. Yeah, God is in control of everything, down to little birds called sparrows. He's numbered the hairs on your head, beloved, amen. Oh, and by the way, you're worth more than sparrows, amen. You're worth more than sparrows. Jesus doesn't die for sparrows. He dies for his bride. Job knew Proverbs 16, 4, I believe. Quote, the Lord has made everything for his, for <clears throat> its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. People get really nervous with books like the book of Job and this issue of God's sovereignty and the, uh, the, uh, the freedom of man or the will of man. And they want to say, they want to, they want to splice God's sovereignty up. Like he's not involved with uh, like things like Hitler, right, or natural disasters or that kind of thing. They'll say, they'll, they'll deny that God is in control of everything. They'll just splice it up and say, well, he's, he's uh, kind of overseeing things, but he's not really in everything like that. What about 1 Corinthians 10, 13? No temptation has overtaken you, but such as common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. That's, what, that's what's happening behind the scenes with the man Job. God is in full control over everything. Chaldeans, Sabians, lightning, Wind, supernatural evil, and even Job's faith. How about Luke twenty-two thirty-one, where Jesus is in the face of Peter and says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Keyword, permission. And this is so precious to me, I love this. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. When? <clears throat> Once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. He's looking at uh, Peter in the face and saying, Satan wants to bring you down. He wants to destroy you. He's asking for my permission, and I'm going to give it to him. You're going to fail me. The cock's going to crow three times. You're going to deny me. And through that tragedy, through that shame, through that process, that I'm going to bring you out of because I'm praying for you, Peter. Go strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers through the adversity that I'm going to bring you through. Amen. This is where I like prepositions. He not only brings us to these things, he brings us through these things. Amen. My God, I need the book of Job for 2022. How about you? We have no idea what's going to happen in 2022. But we know the God. We know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Job. And at the end of the book of Job, yeah, every story that God writes, there is a happy ending for his people. Amen. He's a God worth trusting. He's a God worth knowing. Number eight. I wish I, what's, what's the time? We doing okay on time? Are the Cowboys playing today? Are they playing? Does anybody know? Not till, three, yeah. Not till oh, till three. I thought it was noon. Thank you. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a great uh, um, 
difficulty in the life of God's people here in America. The, the Cowboys are playing, I thought, at noon, and it's really cold outside in Texas. So for Sunday morning. <clears throat> but I thank you uh, for that, James. James said I had until 3. Uh, actually, he said that's when the Cowboys play, but I heard I have till 3 p.m. now. So this is wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> uh, actually, I do wish that I could, <clears throat> with this uh, number 7, there's just... Just read the Bible, beloved. Read the Bible. There's just a litany of how God is in control of everything. He causes the grass to grow. These things that, because we're on this side of the enlightenment, the, the natural order of things or the natural laws. No, there's, they're God's laws. They're what God does. Gravity, okay? Let me tell you something. They can't tell us what gravity actually is. They can only tell us what it does. And then we run into Bible verses like he upholds all things by the word of his power. That's God holding the universe together, right? And if he's holding the universe together, he's gonna hold you together, beloved. When it feels like, and not just feels like, when all hell is breaking loose on your life and there's loss and there's anguish and there's tears and there's pain, we need to be grounded in God's sovereignty. Number eight, when the righteous suffer, they may have friends who want to sympathize and comfort. Pick up with me in verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard all of this adversity that had come upon him, they came each one from his own place. Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. Those are very hard to pronounce. And why did God put them in there? To humble preachers, amen. And they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. So is the motive of the three friends good? I, I see it is good. Look at the bottom of verse 12, uh, rather uh, verse 11. They're coming to sympathize with him and they're coming to comfort him. Look how bad Job looks to his friends, verse 12. When they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him, they raised their voices and wept. Can you imagine this? Each of them tore his robe and they threw dust over their heads toward the sky. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking a word to him for they saw that his pain was very great. We can identify with this, can we not? As we go through life, we have loved ones, friends, perhaps co-workers, and they go through a difficult time and our heart is towards them and sympathetic and we want to say something, but <clears throat> we just don't know what to say. We want to try and fix it. But here, they're coming with good motive and they're not running off at the mouth. They're sitting with him for seven days, not saying a word. So when the righteous suffer, they may have friends who want to sympathize and comfort. According to Edward Curtis, I'm quoting him here, he says, both Job and his friends assumed that the doctrine of retribution, you guys know what the doctrine of retribution is? It basically says, if you obey God, what's gonna happen? good things 
will happen. And if you disobey God, what will happen? Bad things will happen to you. Read the book of Deuteronomy. That's the doctrine of retribution, okay? So he's saying here both Job and his friends assumed that the doctrine of retribution constituted a comprehensive explanation of how God works in the world. They applied this idea to Job's situation and the debate between Job and his friends revolved around this doctrine of retribution. As Eliphaz asserted, this is Job 4.8, as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same, right? Job was unaware of anything he had done that would account for his suffering. We see this in chapter 9, verse 20, chapter 10, verse 7, chapter 31, verses 1 through 40. And so this experience raised questions about how Job's suffering was consistent with God's justice and goodness. And this is not just an ancient story of old. This issue was in the uh, hearts and minds of people during Jesus' day as well. For example, you remember in John 9, 2, the disciples asked a man born blind, quote, who sinned, this man or his parents? You all remember that? The man born blind. Who sinned, the blind guy or his parents? And Jesus responded, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Wow. That's why people get cancer like my two sisters. That's why some people die. Can you imagine? My heart goes out to that Christian woman who's videotaping the Christmas present that father, husband gave to the two boys, filming as they're taking off the crash out of her back porch. The carcass of the helicopter is still within sight of her own house. Welcome to 2022. And yet I hear she's pinning on social media gratitude to God and faith in the midst of that loss. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Oh, there's a great temptation that can, it's a mind virus. Can I put it that way? The mind virus that goes like this. This life is everything. That's a mind virus. This life is not everything. It's temporary. And our lives are but vapors. We're just here for a little while, then we're gone. One of my uh, uh, dear brothers in the faith that I look up to, Dr. David Zimmerman, I'm so happy he has agreed to come for the men's retreat. I can't believe I'm 52 now and he's 64. And I've known him since I was literally like three years old. He was kind of like a a James Barfield. Uh, Rather, uh, my father was like a James Barfield to Dr. David Zimmerman when he was like 15 years old. You know, he was the Sunday school teacher and he went on to ministry and he had an eye on my sister Michelle, right? He was interested in my sister Michelle who's actually both of my sisters are gorgeous, but I digress. And I can remember him growing up and me looking up to him and he came back from college and I still remember as a little boy, there he was in the doorframe of our house and everyone was happy that he came and he had this ugly looking beard from college. Like, what are you doing with that? And so he'll be coming and ministering to uh, the men. Pray for Dr. David Zimmerman. He's gonna help us with these things. 
and to experience the healing power of Jesus as men. So number eight here, when the righteous suffer, they may have friends who want to sympathize and comfort, but as we go about the book of Job, we're gonna see that they did not bring comfort. They brought pain and they brought suffering. And we need to learn from what they said so that we don't compound the pain and the suffering to our own friends as well. On March 1st, this is several years ago, 1997, there was a series of tornadoes that swept through Arkansas, not unlike what happened recently, a couple weeks ago. This particular event or series of tornadoes, they killed 26 people, which resulted in hundreds of millions of dollars in damage. To protect uh, disaster victims, the Arkansas legislature passed a bill, get this, that would bar insurance companies from canceling the coverage of storm victims. Amen for that, right? And they sent the bill to Governor Mike Huckabee for a signature. To the surprise of the legislature, however, the governor refused to sign it, objecting to one phrase in the bill. Have you all read this? Do you all hear about this? The New York Times reported, quote, Mr. Huckabee said that the signing um, the legislation, quote, would be violating my own conscience inasmuch as it described a destructive and deadly force as being, quote, an act of God. He suggested that the phrase acts of God be changed to natural disasters. In a letter to the legislatures who drafted the bill, Governor Huckabee, who, by the way, is a former Baptist minister, he explained, he said this, he said, I feel that I have indeed witnessed many acts of God, but I see his actions in the miraculous sparing of life, the sacrifice and selfless spirit in which so many responded to the pain of others. Insurance companies have traditionally referred to any natural disasters as an act of God. So who is right? Do you see how practical this is and political this is? You got a governor, former Baptist minister, that doesn't like the language act of God as it is applied to tornadoes. So this just kind of brings to our attention the difficulty of these, these issues. The Bible portrays God as perfect, both in love and power, and yet bad things happen. I'll close with a summary from this one scholar who summarized the book of Job in this way. He said, Job is a book that addresses human pain, but it never deals with questions like, why is the suffering this hard? Or why does the suffering last this long? Instead, the book calls those experiencing unexplained hardship to affirm the absolute sovereignty of God over all things to recognize that personal sin is not the only reason humans suffer and to cry out to God from the midst of one's pain confident that he cares. See, this first beginning of the book would be uh, gratuitous in God allowing evil and suffering if there wasn't a happy end to the story, right? So we gotta remember the end of the story as we go through the book together. God does care for his people and his ways are mysterious. He continues, he says, the book also stresses that God is free to rule his world as he will and that we as humans must acknowledge our inability to fully grasp God's work 
and purposes. And that should not move us to diminish God's glory in that he is in everything and working out all things for the good of his people. We don't want to diminish God's glory. In the end, even amidst life's trials, we must continue to revere God for who he is, not simply because of what we receive from him. He is worthy of trust and simply because he's a good, gracious, just, and he's the creator of all. Amen. There's a lot of health and wealth gospel preaching that's a distortion, and it's actually in league with the devil. Is God worthy of our faith and our worship if he chooses to give us nothing or if he takes away everything? You have to decide, beloved. And I think the body of Christ would say, yes, yes, he is worthy. He has suffered more than anyone in the person of his son in order to undo what supernatural evil has done to this earth in bringing sin and death. We're culpable. We're culpable. That's why, that's why the mediator between God and man had to not only represent God, but represent truly mankind. And there he is in the person of the Son, Jesus Christ, the God-man. There's one mediator between God and man, his Son. His name is Jesus. Amen. So let's not give in to this thing, this satanic uh, questioning of our motives. Do we worship God just because of what he gives, blessings? Or is God worthy of our worship, though that same God take away everything? You know, it's fascinating to me. God never, God never answers Job's demand for a reason. You know that? He never answers the question, why God? Why this suffering? He doesn't give him a, a reason, but he does give him a revelation of himself. And for Job, that was enough. I have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I repent in dust and ashes. That's what Job responds to after God finally speaks. So perhaps you're, you, perhaps this, uh, these past two weeks for you, <clears throat> emotionally or psychologically, perhaps for you, it's been heavy. It's been heavy. And it could be for a variety of reasons. It could be heavy because of memories from the past, the recent past of 2021, perhaps, perhaps distant memories from that. There's anniversaries of pain and suffering that you have in your heart and your mind, and sometimes these holidays bring these up. Maybe that's a reason. And perhaps you too have been attacked spiritually to compound those problems or the feeling of heaviness in your heart and your mind. Perhaps your, your heart has been filled with anxiety and, and perhaps it's not for a specific reason. You're just feeling this heaviness. And it's like, why am I feeling so heavy? Perhaps you're looking at 2022 and your heart is filled with anxiety. You're concerned about this or what about that or what if that happens? And so these truths that we've seen this morning, I hope, will, will help us process all of those, knowing that God is our shepherd 
and he's leading us, amen, to still waters. He guides us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He restores our souls. He prepares a table, right, in the presence of our enemies, amen. He is our shepherd. Let's pray together.